Seriously, don't look up this time. In honor of Moonfall, next week from the director of 1998's Godzilla, what is Roland Emmerich going to destroy next? I'm Katie Rich, and I vote for the Burj Khalifa because I feel like we're overdue for a towering Inferno remake. Didn't you see Skyscraper with uh, The Rock? You know. Did Wait, they actually, no, did is I that see, the building that gets blown? Did I, think I see it's that one? No, no, no. uh, it's in a fake skyscraper. In skyscraper, it's in uh, China. It's in Hong Kong or China. Not to say anything too politically thorny and have to give a John Cena like apology to the Chinese government. But I was going to say I've seen it, but I think I saw San Andreas instead. Other buildings go blow up. I'm Matt Patches. What is Roland Emmerich going to destroy next? His career seismic cancellation. Hello. Mm. Right? Come on. Hey. We want to see it. Uh, it's me, Dave with the Seven. I'm going to say time when JFK <laughs> gets his revenge in the alternate universe, Roland Emmerich's Grassy Knoll. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. And technically, Roland Emmerich in 2012 has already dis- destroyed everything. Um, so he is now re destroying things. Uh, he has to scale back from that bloated bore of a movie. But I would love for him to scale all the way down and set a disaster movie in the apartment of uh, parents of young children during a pandemic. <laughs> um, he wouldn't have to stretch all that hard. Dave, <laughs> It's like the complete opposite of home alone. Home and everybody's <laughs> yes. there. Every no, never alone. <laughs> never alone. Dave, your answer unintentionally uh, was a reference to today's wordle. Congratulations. Oh yeah. No. I, yeah, uh, this doesn't count as a spoiler because that was a tough one. Don't play the don't play the word. word I'm on a 25 day streak, everybody. I'm Wordle. Wow. No, I, wow. You, I gave up on today's. Okay. What you gave Never up? What do you mean? Yeah, I just I didn't know the answer, so I just guessed the wrong thing that I knew a couple times, so I could, it would tell me what the answer was. Oh, so you intentionally bombed and you lost. You didn't give up mm-hmm. and walk away. You lost. Yeah, yeah, no, I lost so that I could know the answer. I feel like I there's a difference between losing how did that feel? and walking away. Uh, oh, well. it's not the first time it's happened. The day I lose Wordle is going to be tough. I, yeah, I, I do it. The day I lose Wordle is going to be a little tough. <laughs> I do it in <laughs> bed a... before I go to sleep, like right after it comes up. And so by the time I've woken up the next day, I've already long wow. forgotten about it. You need to what, go to what's... bed earlier. I know. What's You're happening? not supposed <laughs> to wait until Wordle dawn. I mean, Wordle I comes, word, new Wordle comes out at midnight, and <laughs> yeah, I have not yeah. been asleep before midnight in, I mean, forever. You so, need to go to bed earlier. Uh, certainly not happening during Sundance. We'll talk about that. Well, yeah, I don't show. know if we're on the air Everybody. or not. Yeah, this Hello. is this, oh, this, is. this oh, whole okay. Wordle thing has been the show. This yeah. is the topic. This is how the... we become the sophisticates, and after all these years, it finally happened. <laughs> Very deep cut reference. Yeah, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Uh, hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 377. It's pandemic 97. It's the week of Wednesday, January 26th. That's the day that in 1954, ground was broken on Disneyland in Anaheim, California. Turning a generation Please. of adults into big weirdos. No, I'm, I, I apologize to all of our Disney adult <laughs> listeners. That's rude. I just don't understand. I, 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 I want to build I, a I lightsaber patches. patches. 
I want. I, 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 I do. I want to build a lightsaber. I don't want to. I don't want to stand in the lines. It's so crowded. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine today who just went to Disney World, and she taught me about the concept of Disney bounding. Is this something that Dave? What is I feel that? Like you're the. So you're not allowed to cosplay at Disney World oh, if yes, you're an adult course. because yes. the kids will get confused. So people like try to find like subtle outfits that they can wear. And so she, my friend was saying there were a bunch of adults Disney bounding as in Kanto. And I don't know what that oh, means. Wow. Oh, wow. I God. could probably look it up. I mean, but, we, uh, we, now we live regular in a, clothes that sick, sign, sick like, world. Parallel the Encanto. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. was big at when Galaxy's Edge opened. Obviously, people want to cosplay as Star Wars characters, but they can't. So they're wearing like uh, Ray adjacent rags to... <laughs> Galaxy's Edge, which, okay, I get it. That's fun. I mean, they couldn't until two months from now, because when the Star Wars Hotel opens, the guests from there are allowed to cosplay in Galaxy's Edge. Why would anyone go to Disney World when there's Hershey's Park? I mean, Hershey Park is chocolate everywhere. Scummy Disney characters or Hershey's Park? I can't build a a lightsaber there, Patches. You could build a chocolate You you could build a lightsaber in your own house. This is the worst speed up to get David off the show. David, do we have any reviews? I don't know. I can't, I can't open iTunes. My computer's being finicky, so you tell oh. me. This is the or, worst Or we can just do wow. our, we can do our uh, email review. Time, that we da- did. We Dave got has an email review, and we can revisit do iTunes that. for next week. This is a okay. tough month. Fair enough. Anything to get me to stop from how I unlock gas. It was pretty sweet. All right, here we go. This email comes from Lucy, who adds before the email uh, that she is from Canada, and it took me about four weeks of listening to the podcast and waiting to hear my review read before I figured out the reviews were separated by country, and Katie was not going to get my mea culpa. So here we go. Five stars. March Madness mistake. Uh, I love this podcast and all the hosts, maybe even especially David, but I didn't really come here to say that or to delay the Godzilla versus Kong discussion. I'll be using this platform to directly communicate with Katie. Yeah, flashback. (laughs) Dear Katie, I want you to know that my finger slipped when voting in blank check March Madness a couple of days ago, and I accidentally voted for Curran instead of Kelly Wright. Twitter is stupid and uh, doesn't have any way to change a vote cast by mistake, so I'm just going to have to live with the error. I hope you could forgive me as I'm learning to forgive myself. Wow. Sincerely, Lucy. Wow. I mean, Uh, I appreciate that Lucy is doing the work, you know? Like I know, and honestly, it was an honor to represent a guaranteed losing candidate, uh, but I'm glad that my army was uh, was a little bit bigger than I thought. Is that uh, coming up again? Are you going to participate? Is it? I have not heard early? any. Th- I assume that they are going to do March Madness again. I don't know if they're going to do the same thing as last year, because I don't know anything. Yeah, so. Either way, start, uh, March pour Madness one out for poor social media manager and birthday girl the night we're <laughs> recording this, Marie Barty. Oh. Yeah, I mean, their social media, yeah. their March Madness got so crazy, uh, like, like weird and like not fun crazy so i don't know i don't know what they're gonna do how's our social media manager doing uh <laughs> jeff how's, 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 our, uh, how's our march madness <laughs> let's create a new character for fighting the world jeff he's our social media manager just tweet at him come up- whenever you want yeah. jeff yeah at but jeff. it's a g-e-o-f-f jeff g-hoff yeah uh well you can tweet at that person or leave us a what review if we just on like deputized like elon musk as our social media manager and told all of what? our our scores of fans to just badger Elon Musk with uh, questions and flash What does Elon Musk think about yellow jackets? See if we can just eventually get him out of sheer annoyance to uh, bend to our fans' will and serve for free as our social media manager. Wow. No, he'll 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 what? turn he'll he'll <laughs> no. make a new cryptocurrency and call it Fitware and send us all into nothing. It'll that be... happened to Polygon. They ingre- they God. invented a Polygon cryptocurrency. And now half of our replies are people just 
asking about <laughs> now half of your employees thing. are on the street yeah. <laughs> um do you now know what crypto is absolutely not well no i mean okay. i understand what crypto is i will not invest in oh i it's neither tanking. understand what crypto is nor do i it sure is in it. anyway well, we will I'm be so... in the metaverse soon the fighting the worm is going 100 percent metaverse <laughs> i you know we can talk about this briefly in our sundance segment but i did step a toe into the metaverse as part of sundance um but I will say I uh, have am a much, VR, uh, we will get there. To... I am much, okay, okay. much uh, happier to hear from Lucy than I ever would be to interact in any capacity with Elon Musk. Thank you so much for leaving us a review. However you could, <laughs> I appreciate the enterprising uh, um, thought, you know, an action that required to, to get in touch with us. Finally, uh, figure out what was going on. If you are not in Canada, if you are on the United States iTunes store, go on iTunes and fighting in the war room, read us a, leave us a review. Rather, we will read it live on the show. Great fun for everybody. What's the email address? Uh, FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. Good place to reach us. Well done. Thanks, Jeff. You the cooling man, you send you up. Freezing cooling, nine to nine two zero. All right. David, you and I have been watching Sundance movies. You far more than me. You, this is the only segment we have you on for the show. But my goal is to not let you monologue for five minutes about <laughs> anything. That's, that's everyone's uh, goal in most situations. I mean, everyone. I don't want to monologue either, but I think we know which of us is more prone to do it. So before I start prepping you with questions, you did mention earlier that you stepped into the metaverse and you seem to have found your way out. Um, so you can tell us about that first, and then I have some questions. Listen, there is no proof that I have found my way out. I could just be there forever. I, I've been, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my intrigue in the metaverse, or at least in the word metaverse, stems from my love of the video game uh, Persona 5. We don't need to get into that. But um, the uh, yeah, now yeah, we, been If we don't fully, want you to monologue, we cannot get down <laughs> Fully <this road. laughs> adopted by uh, Mark Zuckerberg and everyone else. Now everyone is more conversant in, in what it is. But uh, there's a part of Sundance... That anyone who has uh, it was credentialed for the festival can access. That's called the spaceship, and this is as far as my understanding of the sort of VR application of Sundance goes. But uh, you do not need the goggles, which is a misconception that I had. Um, oh. You just need to go in the browser. And you can upload a photo, and the next thing you know, you're in sort of a virtual waiting room with a little avatar. You control with the the keypad on your uh, keyboard, the arrow keys rather, and um, you can step into. You can watch Q and As. You know, if you're in a certain physical space or you know, sort of digital space in this, you know, metaverse realm. You can listen in on what people are saying. But then there's also these lobbies where you can meet like-minded people, meet up with coworkers, as I did. And if you're in a little circle with them, you can not only talk to one another, you know, out loud and hear each other speak, you can see if you so choose the video feeds coming from their computers, which was a little invasive to me, given that anyone wow. could sort of walk into that circle. So I turned that feature off, uh, which is very easy to do. But, so you uh, could see like their actual face talking, like the way yes. we are now talking. On um, but it was very, you know, I, I lots of uh, feelings that we're not going to. Yeah, we, I, we, uh, is that I have, what fandom have, is? No, I have a lot of feelings <laughs> about virtual festivals as a concept going forward that are uh, more complicated and less articulate than we have time to unpack here. But I will say, given the current circumstances and the corner that Sundance was backed into, the idea of the spaceship, had I taken the initiative and had the time to participate in it more, um, was a really interesting, happy medium. Because it was, it did feel in the five minutes that I spent there, like an actual 
albeit virtual gathering place. Um, that there was a sense of togetherness that beyond we're all watching, you know, the same five movies uh, and tweeting about them. This was more yeah. intimate than that. And uh, had I been in a more social mood and less stressed, I could have hung out and actually met people and interacted with some of the filmmakers and it would have been um, an even more involved experience. So it was very cool. I want to add that to so last year I had a VR headset and South by Southwest did not just this like uh, th- this uh, weird spaceship space, but like they recreated uh, the main downtown street in Austin, uh, 9th Street. No, what's it called? Whatever the Sixth main street. street is. Sixth Street. And uh, you could like run around with your avatar and drive cars. It was like a very uh, custom made thing. And your colleague, Eric Cohn, David, I ran into him. Yes. Quote unquote, on the street in this metaverse space. And like he was like, hey, do you want to go to this? theater where there's a band playing i was like i don't know what that is and we like walked down our virtual road yeah, eric and, like, is a big cheerleader for the metaverse uh, and it was he, just i mean i'm glad that he bad inc- me into doing it here yeah it, it i was felt cool. the same way it was very weird but like eric was a really nice welcoming force and, and it felt uh, other like than, i had like run into somebody yeah and other than uh facebook you know wanting to invest in similar technology this had absolutely nothing to do with that or mark zuckerberg which i appreciate it really felt like <laughs> its own sort of closed off space um but uh yeah that was cool that was it was uh it was cool you could watch movies and panels within the metaverse i mean it, it the potential for greater interconnectivity was there but uh my experience so far katie and i'm guessing yours as well in terms of this virtual sundance has been a little bit more, uh, you know, prosaic and expected of watching movies on my television from my couch. Yes. Although I have had the thought, and I'm sure I said this last year when there was the first virtual Sundance, that as a teenager who was getting into movies and was living in a small town in South Carolina, had I had the option of having Sundance on my television like this, it would have blown my fucking mind. And I really hope that there are a lot of people out there who are taking advantage of it in that I way. So. Like, I, it doesn't seem like a lot of people know that it happened because the switch happened so late. I wonder if they're it's like, so yeah. hard to know. And it's also that like the, you know, and understandably for reasons that again, we don't need to necessarily unpack here. They cannot have infinite access to these films. Um, yeah. And so there is still a pretty strict ticket buying system in place. Even these, even though these are virtual screenings, um, and so access is still limited, even if it's more geographically dispersed. But the, all these films are going to come out. I mean, we are living in yeah, an era yeah, yeah. where but every streaming like, platform is just grabbing these movies. Uh, yes, but as far as the film. access yeah. of, to watch them now goes, it is you know more accessible than just a brick and mortar festival, but not um, not quite as much of a free for all as yeah. some people might have hoped or imagined. Um, although it is, you know. As a, as a journalist covering it, to have that sort of all-access pass that gives you the access to the movies you know, 24 hours a day after they premiere, it, it, there is a gluttonous flexibility to it. Must be um, nice. It is, except for, <laughs> as Katie and I Thanks, probably don't need to get into, again, the third time I've said that in this segment so far, uh, time has not been... Uh, something that we get yeah, in this segment. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a real like Sundance is in my house. Oh, but what else is in my house? Mm, yeah, can't get anything. Uh, long and short of it uh, is I, I was saying right before we started recording, I learned a term Toddlers from an article called stories. the double decker, which is when uh, daycares are closed for two weeks, open for one day, and then closed for two more weeks. <laughs> and that is uh, life uh, that we're living right now, more or less. And uh, so I have not only been not able to watch as many Sundance movies as I would be able to had I just been on the ground, even though they're all on my television, I have been severely impacted in terms of what I'm able to to cover. So um, I was, you know, uh, I was having I'm feeling the reason to... why we're doing this. 
I had the house to myself for a very brief period this afternoon. I was trying to finish watching this movie called You Won't Be Alone. That's a Sundance movie that we can talk about in a little bit. But I was like, okay, if they come home, can I finish watching this with headphones on? And then like there would be some nudity. And then it'd be like, okay, but that's over. Then there would be like a lot of blood. And I was like, okay, this is why you can't watch Sundance movies with your children around. Talk about you this movie. You literally never know. Okay, well, I was thinking about the structure. And blood? Is oh, there yeah. blood? Oh, yeah. A lot of blood, a lot of nudity. And we uh, don't want to show your kids this. Why? Yeah, I mean, does Charlie know that there was blood and, and nudity on the day he was born? To bring him into the world required both. <laughs> it's true. It's when true. do you think Charlie okay. will see Titanic and have that like moment? Oh, he's seen Titanic. What are you talking about? He's seen Titanic? Not, not the whole thing. We've seen, you've seen, he likes the part of the boat scene. I'll just say, there's a part of Titanic wow, that what is very sadist. important. <laughs> I don't think he He likes counting every single individual death in the second yeah, half. Yeah, exactly. He's going right. to start and saying on. not the better half every time someone dies. <laughs> <laughs> I have a structure for talking about the movies that we have seen, David. You've seen more than I have, so you'll probably have better answers to these. But I have four categories to get into. What is the movie you have seen that is most likely to be seen by actual other human beings or maybe will be seen by the most other actual human beings? That's a good question because I think so many, like there are movies that already have distribution with your Amazon Primes and whatnot, and we know are going to be, get some yeah, money behind Master them. Master coming to Amazon theatrically Prime, like next week? Yeah, and there's like a, that opening night movie, Emergency, um, like the, but, but that has not been any guarantee of actually getting eyeballs on those movies in the past. So just because something like Emergency is going to be getting a release at the start of summer on Amazon Prime, I, I don't know what if it's translate into discourse. It's an adaptation. I, I don't have any information for me right now, and I didn't cover it for work, so my knowledge is spotty. Maybe Katie can fill in the blanks, but it is an adaptation of a short that played at Sundance a few years ago. It's from the director of a movie called RNJ, which is sort of like a all-social media retelling of Romeo and Juliet that played last year. Um, and it's Whoa. a it's sort of like half super bad, half the hate you give, um, to be really reductive about it, but it's about these two black college students, um, one of whom is you know very uh you know like he's described by his friend as being essentially white and the other is not it's played by uh rj siler from me and the dying girl and they are spending a world's end like night together touring all these various college bars when they find a passed out drunk white girl on the floor of their house uh or of a friend's house where they where they go for a moment and um they are immediately faced with a lot of complications in terms of you know how risky it would be in that situation for them to call the cops and how are they going to safely get her to the hospital without getting into further trouble and it becomes this whole escalating series of misadventures with a steady sense of dread creeping in as the re- like the actual um severity of what's happening here and what could go wrong settles in uh and it's it's very broad um and ultimately very pointed and i Isn't think it it's good? uh I, I conceptually, I think it is. I think it's the premise itself is loaded and unpacked in a really interesting way. And the performances are strong. Uh, I think it's a, a pretty wild mismanagement of tone and, you know, goes at time from being way too broad to way too on the nose. And the whiplash was just a little bit too much for me. I know a lot of people really responded to it, but um, I kind of found it's one of those situations where uh, the, the circumstances broadly felt very uh, real to me and, and the what it's trying to say about, you know, being a young black man in America and how that can impact some of the choices you make and perpetuate these situations uh, felt real, but the way that the movie was exploring them did not. So uh, I did not. All right. But it, I think it, it's, it has a, a lot of, it, like you could imagine that if Sundance had been in person, you could imagine that premiering on Thursday night at the Eccles and getting a big response. Yeah, 
Yeah, many of these Sundance movies were like, the tone's not all there. Like, it's a little funny. Like, that is what the uh, in-person Sundance is made for. Uh, and maybe on this note, my pick for this would be Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, which I know you saw also. David, I've seen five movies. So, again, I don't know. This is not going to be like giant blockbuster lines around the block kind of thing. But I do feel like it's got a ton of um, potential mainstream appeal. It's Emma Thompson and this newcomer whose name I don't have handy. But, David, you talked about how <laughs> insanely handsome he is in, his re- in your review. Hot guy. If you happen to remember it. Uh, yeah, extremely attractive Darryl Irish McCormick. man. Um, who plays a uh, a male escort who she hires. She's recently widowed. She wants to have an orgasm for the first time. And so she meets in this hotel room with this really hunky- For the first uh, time? Uh, yep. Yeah, she's, she was married for 30 years to a guy who was uh, bad at sex. We don't want to shame was... anybody around here, but from every all the information we're given in the movie, he was bad at it. Well, I mean, um, shame is an interesting, is very component, uh, important component yeah. of the movie because she feels, as we sort of gradually learn, that she has actually been perpetuating that shame as something that women should- have and uh in the in giving it to the students that she has been teaching um and yeah. setting a bad precedent for them and she feels a certain hypocrisy in what she's doing here and is trying to um i don't know undo some of that for herself yeah yeah but it's emma thompson in this like really great form and like the way that the movie evolves the way that she uses her body. I don't want to like get who into the plot of a movie that nobody's seen yet, but like you see Emma Thompson who is, remains a beautiful woman, but is getting older and the way that, you know, she is in this movie with a lot of sex about it. And uh, what she's willing to reveal about herself is fascinating. And I think a huge it's part kinda of like, uh, uh, what could get people talking about this movie. Glenn Close at the Oscars when she was doing that um, butt dance. Doing to butt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, mostly, exactly, it's, it's exactly that. that. Um, it's actually, they credited Glenn Close's to butt as the source. It's of actually the adapted yeah, screenplay. I mean, the screenplay, it's moment. very much a, like a number of the movies at Sundance. It, it very much betrays the fact that it was shot during COVID. The entire movie takes place in the hotel room, um, barring yeah. like one scene that takes place elsewhere in the hotel. Uh, and, you know, half surprised to learn that it wasn't adapted from a play, but in fact, rather from yeah. Glenn Close's butt. And so it's uh, it, it's but it works. I mean, the characters, the the performances are both wonderful. And as Katie was alluding to the way that this movie, you there's a moment like halfway through the movie, not one particular moment, but just you feel like you're watching something a lot softer and broader and um, sort of milk toast. And the movie rope a you a little bit and, and yeah. I think goes into some more mature and honest places in its second half. Is that what yep. does that one have distribution? Is that one coming out? I don't think so. I think well, it is a lot of distribution, distribution. in, in the UK, uh, where it's obviously oh, sure. you know has a lot of commercial value. But um, yeah, I mean it's uh, it'll you, yeah, that's definitely one of the movies that's not going to sit on a shelf for several years somewhere. Yeah, it will probably have a different title when we uh, yeah. finally see it. I'm not <laughs> I'm not wild about the title. Um, okay, next question. What is the film Twitter fave of the festival so far, David? Not your fave, but oh, like, wow. is there a consensus among our critical? Yeah, I think there actually is. Um, I don't have any hard data behind this, but anecdotally, I think it might be a documentary called Fire of Love by Sarah. That was yeah. my pick, too. There is consensus with us. Which just yeah, got I mean, picked I, up by National Geographic, right? Yeah, they, they, yes. sp- they spent a pretty That'll penny on out. it. Um, that will come out theatrically, they mentioned in the press release. Disney Plus. Later Eventually. Yeah, but it's a movie that I would really love to have seen in theaters. It's about, uh, it's an archival documentary, which is sort of all the rage these days, um, about a couple of volcanologists who were briefly seen in the Werner Herzog film Into the, Vulc- Into the Inferno a few years ago, um, who were a couple and, and traveled around the world 
being in the, the forefront of volcanology and being there for every eruption and uh, measuring the soil. I made a whole life out of it and about their different personalities. And it's, it's narrated by Miranda July. And the uh, narration that was written for Miranda July often feels like it was written by Miranda July. And it's very much of that tone, um, which is not to say that it was, but it, it certainly they, they matched the tone of the writing to uh, an appropriate voice for it. it to is her voice, twee. yes. My wife uh, walk, was, watched like five minutes of it with me and could not get over the Steve Zissou vibes and how it sort of affected uh, they the wear the Steve Zissou hats. These they do wear real the Steve people Zissou just hats. wore those red um, hats. Now, obviously, <laughs> I, I you know, assume what came that first, the, the Steve Zissou of it all, you know, informed. This is my question. Like that, this informed Steve Zissou to a degree. This did Jacques Cousteau also wear those hats? I, I think like, I'm wondering to if this is like a French did. nature person thing. Yeah, yeah. No, he totally did. I just Googled um, yeah. it. So yeah, and French so nature were, people all wore those red hats. The subjects of this movie took that aesthetic, uh, you know, above ground. Um, but, uh, it's, it's very, you know, I, I, it's very sweet and twee and beautiful in a poetic sense. There are moments and passages of it that I felt were sort of overdone. It's a movie that busts out 30 minutes in among other kind of obvious needle drops. Brian Nino's The Big Ship, which I would argue needs to be retired from movies for the next hundred years. Um, even though it's a brilliant song. Um, and, uh, the rest of the score is actually done by one half of the band air, which, and sounds like it and it's effective, but it's, it's very, it's very hmm. cute and crowd pleasing. Um, and invites you I to mean, consider I feel like, I feel like you're calling you it Am I, am I being I too like calling it cute and t- cute and twee feels like it's diminishing it. I mean, I, I certainly get it, especially with the Miranda July voice, but like, I think it gets into the reasons they did what they did and the kind of terrible things that not not that they caused, but like their fascination with volcanoes and their willingness to like overlook like the very real damage that it could do. Um, and then also their footage is fucking amazing. Like and they show so their beautifully and like what like the, not just like their close ups of lava flows, but like them standing in front of like an exploding geyser. Like it's really like jaw dropping. It is, to and watch I think that I, thing. the. So, the soft, like, I, I feel like it would have been a fundamentally different experience seeing it on the big screen where the scale of what they were confronting and uh, the, the danger of it all was a little bit more palpable. Um, and I think that there, a lot of the movie ends up being tone instead of substance a lot of the time, mm. um, at, at least watching it on my television. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I don't want to, I don't mean to sound like I didn't um and there's plenty to think about it there's a fascinating article on filmmaker.com by uh, filmmaker magazine website by Abby Sun about uh sort of like the, the the idea of the ship that is slowly rebuilt until it is no longer you know is it still the original ship about the way that the archival material is presented and sort of recontextualized in this movie to potentially go against the intention with which it was shot or the circumstances under which it was shot um, because this does feel as much of as much of the fact that 100 percent of the movie is composed of this archival footage, like it is sort of a new concoction. Um, that it's not simply their footage arranged and and con- you know, made more yeah. concise and formed into uh, to sharpen their love story, but really that it's been heavily editorialized and not just edited. So, uh, but it, it's interesting to think about. It's a really affecting movie, and I look forward to seeing it again in maybe less stressful circumstances yeah um yeah and again it's not not geo the people who brought us the rescue and um 
Free Solo, I think. Also, like oh, yeah. they're they're doing a, they're doing a good job with the nature. This is a very different movie than those, though, which I I think is uh, good for expanding what that platform can mean. Okay, two more questions. What's going to win the audience award? Oh boy, uh, I have absolutely <laughs> no idea, and I still I've yeah not, I don't know either. I've only seen fifteen or sixteen movies uh, out of a lineup that we have to remember in and start stark contrast to last year is full size. I mean, last year they compensated for the virtual insanity of it all. Uh, shout out to Jamaric Y by the, <laughs> se- severely trimming down the lineup. Um, and this year, you know, they were fully intending on having an in-person festival. And so we're back to uh, the same number of films that would ordinarily be at Sundance and trying to, you know, cover the festival and running a review section for a website that covers, you know, a vast majority of the movies. I have felt that difference uh, strongly. Um, and so it really does feel like it, it, there are too many movies to keep up with, um, even which is a really pronounced feeling when they're all on your television. You know, when you're running around Sundance, you're like, well, you know, I saw four movies today and uh, in four different venues. And it's hard to imagine seeing anything more. But it does feel a little bit like uh, you're you're not taking advantage of what you have when they're so all. So which movie is going to win the audience award or uh... I have heard I've heard a suggestion <laughs> that could be uh, Cooper Rafe's movie. Cha-Cha. Uh, really? Cha-Cha real, real smooth. No, Cha-Cha, Cha-Cha, Cha-Cha real smooth. Cha-Cha, real smooth. David seems uh, especially uh, uh, high on this movie compared to everyone else. But. Yeah, I, I really I really like what Cooper Rafe's putting down. I mean, he made Shithouse a couple years ago. Um, he we makes, talked about Shithouse on this show. Yeah, like really. Yeah, wasn't that uh, last year? Last year. Uh, two years ago? I don't know. I mean, it, it, Shithouse never got a premiere because it was supposed to premiere at the South by Southwest. That happened right at the start of the pandemic. So it was about two years ago. Um, but... He makes you know, these very sort of lo-fi, J. Duplass-influenced um, and mentored, in the case of Shithouse, uh, indie comedies. But the, they're, and they're so humane and open-hearted, but also incredibly smart and honest. They feel more honest because of the kindness that their characters exude and, and the uh, grace that they extend one another, rather than less, which is often the case with Sundance movies um, and in films in general. Uh, and Cha-Cha Real Smooth, I would argue the best movie ever made about a bar mitzvah party starter. Uh, once again, stars Cooper Rafe as a guy who's sort of wayward and lost after college who meets, and his, his whole sort of thing because of his relationship with his mom, Leslie Mann, is he has this affinity for helping older women. It's not necessarily rooted in like a sexual attraction. Again, it stems back to his relationship with his mom, who's bipolar and um, divorced by the time the movie really gets going. But... Uh, he, so he meets Dakota Johnson, who's a 29-year-old mother of a 12-year-old autistic girl, and sees someone who is prime for the saving, and they start a really interesting friendship of sorts. Uh, and I, the movie, I thought it was really sweet and beautifully done, and uh, seems to be landing well with people, so that's a possibility. Yeah, I, uh, I have not seen it yet, but that's... I think Emergency um, could also do well, and it, just a double back. Um, okay, last question. What's your actual favorite? Movie. And Fire Fire of Love could also... I mean, I could see Fire of Love winning an audience award. Docs are eligible. Why not? Um, my favorite movie... If, I, the Jesse Eisenberg movie was really strong. He directed a movie called uh, When You Finished When You Finished Saving the World. It was a lot more polarizing than I expected it would be based on I did not much like it. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I enjoyed it. But uh, I, 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 if I had to pick the movie that I've thought about the most, um, that I've enjoyed badgering people the most into seeing it would be a movie called resurrection uh which it was directed by a guy named andrew siemens who i'd never heard of before and it stars rebecca hall 
uh, and Tim Roth and Rebecca. I, I mean, I really don't want to say anything about it, but it, it, the way I described it in my review is that it's, it feels like it splits the difference between like a basic cable thriller of like the Halle Berry, Ashley Judd era and uh, the Polish film Possession. Um, it's that, like, sounds like, uh, that sounds like Malignant or something. Uh, it is. It is not. It is not unlike *Malignant*, but I think it, it is uh, of a much higher. I don't want to say it, it's a very different caliber than *Malignant*, but I think sure. it's a more respectable film. I mean, I think it's a more serious film, uh, but it's still a lot of fun. Um, it feels like it has sort of a been there, done that vibe. Like, oh, a, a woman is she seeing things? Is it real? She's being revisited by her past trauma. There's a bad man, and then you realize that bad man is played by Tim Roth. And your alarm bell should be ringing because you know that it's oh, not yeah. going to be. Um, okay. It's it's not going to be a typical walk in the park uh, for this sort of thing. Uh, and the movie absolutely goes places. Uh, Rebecca Hall gives an astonishing eight minute monologue where she's sort of cloaked in darkness, like she's the subject of a Caravaggio painting, where she lays out the plot in a scene that is by turns harrowing and at the very end bleakly hilarious. Uh, where this movie goes, I mean, it's. It, all I'll say is it was scored by the same person who did the, set, the score for Titan, uh, or as Patches calls it, Tatane. And um, by the time the movie is over, you can understand, you know, why it sort of fit into uh, his his groove. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Rebecca Hall, I love that in between making, you know, really intelligent and fine crafted and, and sort of these prestige, that prestige like a directorial debut in passing she can reliably be seen making very fucked up genre fare at Sundance between this and the Night House. Um, and I guess even Christine would fall into that category. Uh, rainy day in New York, nothing more fucked up than that. Uh, so, yeah. Um, it's, uh, I, I, Resurrection... You got me. I don't know what kind of release it's going to get, but uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised that I was not the only one. I mean, I saw some people who hated it, but I was not the only one who was really high on the movie. Um and uh, that was, and then there's a four and a half hour Kanye West documentary that'll be on Netflix soon that I think is wildly uneven, but absolutely addictive and uh, deserves to be seen and talked about ad nauseum. And that'll be on Netflix in February. So stay tuned. Um, I want to throw out, well, my answer might be after Yang, um, but I think we'll oh, talk sure. about after Yang soon. It's getting released on May 24th. Well, after, I just want to asterisk, I, after Yang, uh, I saw at Cannes last year, uh, you know, humble brag, but like that, I think... <laughs> That and like worst person in the that world. That would be I mean, your favorite. These are yeah, these are movies that are uh, I don't really consider Sunday's movies from this year, but um, are probably of a higher you know sure. caliber. Yeah, so I find it Yang. We'll we'll talk about it at some point later. It's great. Uh, but I today I watched You Won't Be Alone on the recommendation of Richard Lawson, uh, which is a Focus Features release. It's gonna it's coming out in April already. Uh, it's like a Macedonian witch supernatural Terrence Malick movie. <laughs> Um, and I guess people would get the chance to see it soon, so I don't need to talk too much about it. David, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it on your recommendation and Richard's uh, yep. as soon as I possibly can. Yeah, this is the one with all the nudity and the blood. Um, I didn't know about either of those things. Of I just knew that Numi Rapace is in it. Numi Rapace is in it, and not in, not as much in it as the advertising might have you believe, but that's not really a problem. It's basically a uh, teenage girl sheltered from the world, uh, Rapunzel style, uh, goes out into the world, and she has witch powers, and she kind of experiences what people are and do. And there's lots of whispery voiceover and like pictures of people in like glowing green fields, so you get kind of the Malik vibe of it. But I think it's it's bloody and weird and about motherhood and about like communities and like sex and all kinds of communities things. and so, sex. Say no uh, more. Yeah, I know. How can one person contain so much? So I, I really liked it, and I would like to see it on a big screen, which as people get the chance to do, it's coming out on April 1st. From who? Oh, Focus. 
Focus, yeah. Well, wow. can you just rattle um, off uh, the... You saw a total of five movies you've talked about. All right, what else have I seen? Almost all of them. Uh, no. I, I saw the Jesse Eisenberg movie, When You're Finished Saving the World. Maybe we'll talk about that again. Actually, I've done them all. Fire of Love, When You Finish Saving the World, After Yang, oh. Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, and You Won't Be Alone. That's all. Right. Very efficient. I'm going to see these movies nice. someday. Yeah. I'm a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> you can handle all that nudity yeah. and blood. And now back to the the groundhog saw its little gold shadow, and now back to eight more weeks of Oscars. Dave, all right, the Goonies fucking sucks. Whoa, wow, (laughs) the fire. Dave has suggested, David, when I tweeted about this, Dave suggested it was a hot take worthy of this podcast, so I saved it. And uh, so why did you watch the Goonies? Maybe that's a Um, good My children have been home for a lot of time, like a long time. Mm -hmm. January has been tough on all of us. January's been real tough. Screen time has been uh, a big part of our lives. Yeah. And the nice thing about watching so much is that Charlie, who is five and a half, who usually is very particular about what he spends his time watching, is kind of like, I don't know, I'll try something new. I've watched everything else because I've been watching TV all the time. And he's been interested in movies with people in them. Like, we've watched Back to the Future. As I oh, said, yeah. he's watched parts of Titanic. We've watched parts of Indiana Jones. Have you and guys so done, like, like you know? Sound of Music? Have you done the classic music? Yeah, we've done, like, the musical numbers and Sound of Music. But getting them to watch the whole thing. Like, he doesn't like the parts when people talk. Which I'm like, okay, I mean, that's just what movies are. Like, in Indiana Jones, as soon as, like, they get into the classroom, he's like, get boring. Um, he'll get there. But, uh, so I was like, Goonies, it's like kids, it's action-packed. The Goonies is just these kids screaming over each other. Like, I don't know how long it's been since you've watched part of the Goonies, but every single scene is all of the kids talking over each other and yelling about what they're going to do. And then when you can make out what they're saying, and, like, I know I'm going to sound like some parody of like a 21st century, like woke millennial, but like it's a bunch of fat jokes. And like, not what's the kid's name? Not Data. Uh, what? Data, no, what's his yes, name? The, the, uh, is Android it Data? Okay. No, I was like, I am know, I, con- I, <laughs> I was like, am I confusing me with Star Trek? What's the, the Asian kid's name? I'll look data, Data, uh, Data. Is it actually Data? Okay. Yes, it's Data. Um, well, his real name is Richard. And <laughs> just like, no one is nice to each other. No one is that supportive, like, Brand the Josh Brolin character is like being a dick. But isn't this true to kids? This, are being, I, this is what kids are like. So. They scream at each other. They're assholes to each other. And then they go on adventures with each other. My, not, my friends growing up are horrible. And the, the adventure is kind of stupid. Like, and like this wistful music comes on where they're finding the pirate map. But then it just goes back to like antics of all of them shrieking at each other. I found it so unpleasant to watch. And then it. I tweeted about it. And a lot of people backed me up. So not just me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they have, there's calcified nostalgia for the Goonies of kids of of a certain age. Um, I feel like the Goonies is definitely in hook territory now, where it's like, oops, this is not as good as you remember it. I mean, Richard Donner, Spielberg, this was supposed to be a home run hit. I mean, and like Hook, I think it looks astounding, right? Like when they go underground, they're on a pirate ship. It's just like Hook, they're on a pirate ship also. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, filmed in Oregon with all those like beautiful like rocks out in the ocean. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think superficially, like if you're into um, gallery art, uh, pop art, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like. Are we talking skating. about like Mondo posters? Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm dedicating <laughs> Mondo posters right now, hardcore. Like, if you're into Mondo poster culture, you love the Goonies because superficially, iconography, like the iconography, is is good. It's solid. I mean, you could recognize all the characters. There's funny quotes, but as a movie, it's it's made like kids would make it, right? Yeah. It's just like mm-hmm. they're screaming dumb jokes and acting like kids. But the question is, did did your son like it? Did the kid who it was made for like it? He watched, I mean, he, he's, I think he's kind of young for it. I don't know if he was quite, right. it was quite made for him. He did want to finish it. Like we got to the end, he was interested in finishing it. He's not brought it up again. I don't know. I guess he did like it. Dave, but like, do that doesn't mean it doesn't make it a good movie. Do I have any Goonies memories? Go- no, just like, just like, just like moments. Like I, I, I have the memeable pop culture moments in my mind, which means I must have watched it. But the reason I thought that Katie's take was so good is I honestly don't remember like any piece of non-memeable dialogue. Mm-hmm. If it's never been on a shirt that says Goonies, I don't remember if it was ever part of the movie. Honestly. Yeah. Like they get together and they go on some adventure to find like a treasure map and then they end up on a pirate ship and there's the woman who's horrible to her sons. Uh-huh. And like I I I don't remember much about the movie. You don't remember. Yeah. Hey you guys. No, that's a quote from a shirt. No, I that's do cuz that's on the t-shirt. Goonies never but say I, like, die. I, I think I remember I think I remember more about like the original Land Before Time and shit than I remember wow. about Goonies in terms of movies of my uh but i do i do see how it's popular with kids because patches you're right especially with like a group of dudes that is probably a depiction of reality that hits home with uh kids of a certain age and so maybe they're like you know i'm seeing a real movie with me and i'm seeing me on the thing i don't know like a a a stranger things without the edges uh shaved down representation matters uh... sean Astin's character is asthmatic if i recall Important. Yeah, he is. And Charlie really wanted to know what the inhaler was all about. He had a lot of questions really? about what was going on in Goonies. It's a real is depiction he, is... of latchkey kid culture, which we don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. Like these kids have no supervision whatsoever. Which like, I'm not saying that's it. Things hold are better on, now, hold on, hold but... on. You don't think we have that anymore? That was my childhood experience, just like running. Yeah, you're not a kid anymore. Yeah, I'm running. I'm running about right now. I can go outside whenever I want. I go on adventures all the time. Have ice cream you don't for think dinner anymore? <laughs> yeah, I, I think. I think that kids uh, do not exist that way anymore, which really? maybe is is part of the appeal of it. Yeah, Why? I think kids. Why like, would we think that that's true? I mean, stranger you danger. Space, you wouldn't let your kids run around the neighborhood with. I mean, again, my child is five. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so, but I don't know. I mean, like kids used to like come home from second grade and have nobody in the house. Kids run around my neighborhood, and I do wonder, like, at what point is that? When do you let them go? <laughs> I feel like Charlie, your yeah, son, is like only like. Two or three years away from just running around yeah, he the neighborhood might be. without supervision. Yeah, check in in a couple years, and we'll. No. Uh, he's gonna go we'll full goonie. Out. Yeah, he's gonna go Which find goonie an underground do you want pirate ship. Your son to be? Is there an aspirational Ooh. goonie? No, suck? Weren't you listening to watch how she described the entire? <laughs> it's just Martha Plimpton in the movie. She is always like, good. I'm trying to remember because like her friend is just like just like the love interest. It's like Martha Plimpton is like kind of mean, which like oh. seems more fun. But I don't remember her doing anything interesting at all. I don't know. I, I feel just... like this might be kind of early, but I'm going to try. Is he ready for the Phantom Menace? I was so we've watched some of Star Wars. And he looks he... like Anakin Skywalker, your son. So no representation he's, he's matters love, in the game. Love pod racing. Do you think he'd be more ready for Phantom Menace than original Star Wars? 
I think yes. Phantom Menace is the one that is more geared towards his Made age. For it looks he like a cartoon. Is. He's interested in Star Wars in theory. He's like, but then there was that part where there's the gold guy like wandering in the desert just talking. And I was like, oh boy. Star Wars lost your interest in like the first 10 minutes because C-3PO was just talking in the desert. So we got, we got. Yeah, this one, do. he just has to get through one scene of talking about a trade. Yeah, they blockade, get rid of that. And then it's so. right to yeah. Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> you can skip ahead. All right. Uh, this will be, was it the Phantom Menace that we all went and saw at midnight in 3D? Oh, yes. Yep. This can be the first time I've seen it since then. I'm sure we've talked about that on the podcast, but uh, we I have fond have. memories despite being obliterated drunk. Mm-hmm. And asleep. Just like I was during the Goonies when I was 10. <laughs> I'm excited uh, for Charlie to be of the generation that knows who Anakin Skywalker is before he knows who Darth Vader is. If he, like, Those are the types of experiments I'd be running on children if I had access to I think children. he does know who Darth Vader is, and I don't oh. know how. That would be so awesome. Does. To watch the prequels first and then the original trilogy. And be like, what? That's what happens? Wow. Um, one last thing. Someone, when I tweeted about Goonies, someone recommended to me Finding Ohana on Netflix, which is like a oh, yeah. modern version of the Goonies, and like, but it's set in Hawaii and it's kids looking for a treasure map. We did not watch the whole thing, um, so I can't endorse all of it, but I really liked what I saw. So if anyone looking for a Goonies alternative. Yeah, I think that's like yeah. the Dora Explorer movie adjacent Goonies uh, variant. Don't watch the Goonies. It's on HBO Max. Don't watch, watch, watch the Goonies. Don't watch the Goonies. Wait. Hashtag but, don't watch the Goonies. But we'll get to more HBO Max topics after oh, this shit. music break. Oh, no segues. Segues. I said after this music break. <laughs> you, she did. When back when the pandemic was happening, and it was like maybe this is gonna last just for a little while. One of the um, projects we oh, took on this podcast oh, yeah. was uh, assigning assigning things to each other that you know we could stream. It's like maybe it's time to do some TV, maybe it's time to do some older movies. It was 2020, and we were all trying to get back in the swing of things. Luckily, uh, Search Party was dropping seasons like it was hot on HBO Now to try to get uh, some subscribers over there. HBO uh, so Max. As HBO Max. Now previously it, existed. Does HBO, HBO Now no longer exist? No, no longer it doesn't, exists. I don't think. I think HBO I still, still exists, have the app but on HBO my phone. Max, yeah. yeah. Either way, <laughs> uh, the streaming HBO service... Whatever it's called now in the future when you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> uh, the HBO um, was uh, had seasons three and four of Search Party up. We watched them. We caught up as a podcast. And so imagine uh, my delight when uh, last month uh, Search Party season five dropped. Last and month. it is the conclusion. Last month, right? This month. January. Like early two, two weeks ago, I think. Like early January. Oh, yeah. God. It's, it's still January. Stretching January out. has been some bullshit. But it yeah, also contains search party. My, yeah, it's my fault for asking a moonfall question at the top of the podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, search party season five, the final season. It came around. It is on HBO now. I have talked about it briefly with people that I can't uh, spoil it, but you guys have seen all of it, so I would like to have a full spoilers conversation. I think we, uh, if that's to. permittable. Let's yeah, just say, we, we should tell yeah. people to watch it. Like, yeah, we yes, should. We should. Ha- Heartily endorse, endorse Search Party endorse and it. season 
I endorsed it. And also, I wasn't so sure that a fifth season was a good idea, and uh, it, the fifth season proved me wrong. So even if you're skeptical, you should watch it. Yeah, every time I think Search Party's going to lose steam, uh, it definitely twists itself again. Well, I think the amazing thing is it keeps genre hopping, right? If, if, if you've heard about this show on a surface level, you've probably heard it described as like millennial skewering, genre bending comedy drama. But Yeah, um, it's like season one, mystery. Season two, on the run. Season three, court. Season four, kidnapping. Season five, cult. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet, it's still the same message. Like, I, I like that the, oh, the yeah. show hasn't lost focus like it's still about what it was about i think in season one so i'm very excited to talk about this final season because just to tease people who definitely need to catch up this season is bonkers this season just goes (laughs) completely out of control and i'm so happy uh because it's again true to the spirit of of the series search party season five full spoiler chat right now let's go katie i'm so glad you caught up last year or whatever two years ago what did you think of of season five? Because you had doubts. Where, yeah, where, I mean, I I wasn't wild about season four. Like I thought, I felt pretty stagnant watching Dory in that basement. Even though I thought um, Cola Scola as the kidnapper oh Chip was kind of amazing, Where's especially his Emmy? when Susan, when Susan Sarandon shows up in the final episode and they're like dressed alike and chasing each other around that roundabout. It's like one of the funniest things I saw on television. And then as the season begins, again, it's like, okay, here's Dory doing her new thing. She's, like, becoming a cult leader. And she's, like, got this, like, blank beatific vibe about her that she kind of doesn't really drop until maybe the very, very end of it. But the – and, like, Jeff Goldblum shows up at this, like, tech billionaire. And I'm like, okay, Jeff Goldblum's, like, kind of doing his late series season, like, late life Jeff Goldblum thing where he's, like, 10 degrees way over the top. But then when it settles in in the cult with the influencers and, like, they – burn their colors into their forehead because they're so devoted to Dory and spins out from there. It gets stronger and stronger. And then in the final two or three episodes, uh, the full spoiler, it turns into a zombie show, which is so funny. And it's such, and that is how it comes right back around to what you're saying, Patches, about being about what it was in the very, in the first place. And the fact that it ends as a zombie show, but is still about like millennials searching for purpose is incredible. Like I cannot think of another show that could have done that. I I think, well, one, we keep calling it like a cult. What I like about the show is that it never goes full cult. Like Dory almost dies. Yeah. Maybe she does die, right? She has a, a near-death experience. Um, and I think we see her funeral in the season four. Yeah, so at the she, end of last right, season. Right, yeah. Like yeah, we see her multiple her personalities. Yeah. Uh, so my big question was like, are they going to be able to redeem Dory? Like, how do you end this character? On, on some level where we can stick with her. She's complicated. I, I honestly, I think I said this in our conversation about season four and the whole show uh, eons ago now, but Aaliyah Shawkat's performance is, is, I find really astonishing. And just like she's constantly reinventing and constantly finding new quarters of this person who remains the same from beginning to end on, on some level. You know, we can never really completely change. But she, all these life experiences are, are throwing her in a new path. But she's always chasing the same thing. She wants power and influence and, and love and by others. Yeah, she wants to like, and I think the show ultimately, and maybe we can get more into this, is what it's about. But I think it's about um, millennial ennui, but, but also the world going to hell and, and wanting to be on top. It's about get rich quick schemes, right? It's, a, it's like 
And I, I feel like I encounter this in conversation with people I know, uh, both of my age and, and in younger generations now. I'm constantly dealing with people who see themselves at the finish line, and but they don't imagine themselves like being in the journey to get to the finish line and actually accomplish something. Everyone just wants to quickly accomplish something, and that's what Search Party Season 1 was all about. Hey, I could, I could solve a, a mystery, or I could find my friend. And now in Season 5, it's like, I could start a revolution and inspire people with my vision of peace and harmony and love. Um, and it's all fake. Like everything she's trying to do is not built on reality. It's built on this kind of detour, get rich quick scheme. Um, and and, and, I found, po- and yeah. probably like delusions or like, I don't know what the medical diagnosis for her is, but the show seems pretty skeptical that she has actually found this enlightenment. Well, even Chantal, the woman who went missing in season one, who has is definitely the weirdest character, the funniest character. I'm always Chantal excited to see maybe like, the best character on television. how Chantal <laughs> pops up. And in season five, she has been recruited by Kathy Griffin's new character, Licorice Montague, um, who <laughs> yeah. fan, my fan, uh, my wife's fan theory uh, is that is Licorice Montague actually the older version of Chantal and she managed to time travel. We can get into that if we if we need to. But uh, even though Licorice Montague does die in the season, I still think there's mm-hmm. some weird time travel. There's something going on. And now Search Party has definitely opened the door for me for this uh, incredible fan theory. But um, yeah, Chantal straight up tells story like you, you you always had delusions of grandeur. Chantal literally, after the most tumultuous up and down and like having no purpose whatsoever, finally gets to be like uh, Terminator. She style. gets to save Griffin Newman. She is saves, what she, gets to do. she saves Griffin Newman. Does she uh, save Griffin? Does Griffin uh, no, make actually, it? I think, Griffin, I think Griffin dies. No, don't they while ditch Griffin at the ferry yeah, no, or did. the? Uh... Griffin yeah. does get a little No, he's cameo. at the fa- he's at he's the at ferry the- trying to drive them back because he's yeah, with the Chantal. Yeah, but I think he gets left at the ferry. I don't th- I didn't see Oh, him he, he gets left at the ferry. Part. But Chantal Stramp says Very well. you always had delusions of grandeur. Um But what's and, so funny about that is is she's saying that cuz Dory's like no, I ended the world and she's right though. Like Chantal says <laughs> she had delusions of grandeur, but this time Dory is correct that she brought she on the world. She finally did something, right? She destroyed civilization. Yeah. Um yeah, and I think that the 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 leg this show starts on really brings the characters back together in a way that season four didn't ultimately. Like I was really happy mm-hmm. to see the whole gang together and everyone kind of drinking the Kool Aid in almost a literal way here, as as Dory becomes a kind of prophet and they literally want to create a pill that can uh, make everyone have the near death experience and save them. Um, it's it's great to see all the characters kind of fold back in and lose their minds lose their minds again um but i i don't know what, what do you think the show is ultimately about driving toward cults and and having a zombie apocalypse like how does it all click in for you guys dave what does it all mean yeah. uh they're all ag- aggressive ways that make you define yourself so that's what i like i know that dory wants power and whatnot but i think part of the thing that we learned about her in season four is she also wants to be told uh, who she is and then recognize that that's who she is so she could recognize it in herself. And I think like the final shot of the series not to blend too much with uh, Station Eleven, which I know Katie hasn't uh, finished yet. We're going to but... talk about that next. Right? No, couple weeks. Two weeks? Give oh, us a couple We're weeks. giving Katie some time. I'm bursting at the seams waiting to talk about Station We'll get there. But uh, the idea that 
after something like the zombie apocalypse, everybody has to redefine themselves, much like mm. Dory feels like she needs to redefine herself after graduating NYU in season one and sort of like tumbles down uh, that that road. I really like the Dory character because she's just like um, right on that border of understandable, but also to me very obviously a sociopath. Hmm. Um, where it's like every time that I think she's close to maybe actually caring for somebody, it's turned into another step of her manipulation. Like even late in this season, there's a part where it seems like she's going to get together with Drew, but she becomes the fourth point in a like love square where everybody's trying to hook up with Dory. And she just kind of lets it happen. That sounds really fun. And I'm like, wants to have sex. yeah, the yeah. the part with John Early being <laughs> mad that everyone else is hooking up with Dory is really funny. John Early, just an amazing presence. He is in this new Apple show called The After Party, where he, he's not a big role, but like, he is so funny. Everything he does, his mannerisms, I love that man. But yeah, I I like this idea, sort of, of watching her as this like uh, relatable sociopath. But at least for me, this season, the second where she's like, yeah, you all have to die. Like she's Instagramming that in like episode two. I'm like, this is going to be get dark. <laughs> and they get dark by having it be like these incredibly bubbly people in these incredibly ridiculous scenarios. Like Jeff Goldblum shows up with his fake elevator to the center of the earth. That, which I is lost just my like, mind. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the ripoff. Uh, it group of adults that Drew runs across, and it's just a complete oh my throwaway God. gag. Oh but it's the God. funniest fucking thing. We have to thing. talk about this. Oh my God, Katie, talk about say. this. It's so funny. I mean, I don't Go know what to it, say, but other than it's like a, an it knockoff, and what it's Michael Ian Black and Scott Adsit, and who else shows up in that scene? Like other like New York comedy people. Oh, it, and they're uh, so earnest, yeah. and like talking about everything that they've survived, and Drew the whole time is just being like. <gasps> Okay, just tell me what is he trying to figure out? Like, ch- he tell needs me the lat the lat the name of the last name, the last name of the person. That's right. He just needs. A I mean, it's like, what, like it's, or have the, the original tiny side. knife. It really feels like a wet hot American side. summer joke, where like all of a sudden a whole different movie starts in the middle of these. Scenes. You remember that and, like, Show Walter actually has written and produced the show for over the years. Like, it feels yeah. like the most Show yeah. Walter gag in the whole show. Yeah, it's and it's there's a couple of those funny. things. Yeah. So as it gets like darker and darker in like they're developing a suicide pill and somebody should be talking about that. The show's like, no, they're going to do the most brightly colored chemical burns you've ever seen in your life <laughs> right on their face. And it just uh, like uh, elevates ridiculousness to the point where it's like Chantal shows up and in like her second scene, she just walks up to a hot dog vendor. She's like. I'd like a hot dog with mustard cup style. And he's like, what's cup style? She's like, in a cup? I was about to say, that scene, <laughs> that scene also feels super show all to you. It, like, I was a big fan of Stella growing up, that Comedy mm-hmm. Central show that him and Ian Black and uh, David Wayne did together. Getting the hot dog in a cup of, of what? what is it? Is a cup of, it's just in a cup? It's just in a cup. Yeah, a hot yeah, dog in a cup. It's like a, a cup style. Uh, cup style. That is the most Stella joke. I th- and I don't remember anything from previous seasons like that level of comedy. But I think they have to go that direction because it's so apocalyptic. This season, it's just so bleak to get. I mean, the, the scene where she recruits the social media people and um does her cult shit and like really and the one guy's just like, you just bullied that girl. Fuck you, right. and he walks off. And the show's like, yep, you should have thought that guy. Oh well, here we go. That- <laughs> is disturbing. I mean, I th- again, Aaliyah Shawkat is just like really good at tapping into 
the unnerving, disturbing reality of this world that they've created. And uh, this this show is scary. The show is really terrifying sometimes. Um, and that's why it's good. Like, is introducing in like social media influencers like does that feel slightly mission creep for this show? Like, I obviously I realize the show has done everything, but. I couldn't figure out if, what it had to say about like influencer culture if it was trying to like that that felt like a little bit of a cul-de-sac to me. Yeah, I was wondering mm. if you you'd think that was hacky um to to even go into to like make fun of influencers. Like she's on TikTok this season and I don't I don't I, it, it, for me it felt like a moment of desperation and it feels like what I see a lot on social media, but in a kind of different way where it's, it's not just skewering influencer culture. It's skewering just like how pathetic all of this can be and how lonely these people are. I think it was sympathetic to the people who are the mm-hmm. influencers who are kind of drawn in by, I, I think it says more about tech. And I think this season is all about the gigantic forces that none of us really can contend with at this point anymore. Right. Tech pharmaceutical companies, uh, the apocalypse, <laughs> you know, the, the, the outbreaks. <laughs> like, you can't do yeah. anything about all this shit. You can only be lured in by personalities who are manipulating you as well. And there's really no escape when they're backed by tech companies. And, and here, mm. Dory's worst instincts are being amplified by huge people who just want to make a buck. And then suddenly, these influencers who we can laugh at in a, in a, in a, in a blander, weaker show, we'd be laughing at these influencers. For like roller skating for clicks and like cosplay for clicks, but it's actually really sad and they're trapped and they feel really depressed when they show up and they're like, someone saved me from this reality that I've created for myself. And I think that's kind of a next level observation on the show's part um, and showing that like tech companies are trapping these people in more than themselves. I mean, it read as a natural evolution to me because all four characters just keep getting trapped trying to define themselves or let themselves think that they're doing something okay when they aren't. So, like, we've done news, we've done acting, we've done, like, holistic brunch groups in the first season that ended up being, like, weird birthing things. And so it's just escalating and escalating and taking it to, like, the social media level, I think, is much more successful in a show like this than, like, it's use and like don't look up or something just to sure be like and then the masses were there because it says and then the masses were there but it also has representations for those masses that we get to learn as characters and fuck around with but like yeah like uh drew's in this season is just like has a side plot where he's right. like a very successful business developer for an app that just allows people to declare eminent domain on poor people's apartments <laughs> yeah, and seize. About that. Yeah. And just the whole time he's just like, I'm doing fine. Let's not talk about, just don't worry about it. We're all doing fine. Yeah. I think this is the better version of like the circle or something like that. This is more about wow, tech companies circle. than I think I even realized while first watching it. It's, it's re- everyone is being corrupted at this point when they're, they think they're escaping, yeah. but they're running to other parts of capitalist society. For solace and it's just destroying them in a different way this show kind of took flack for being millennial satire in season one but i think it is much more than that it's it's yeah, about I think they like how millennials have been trapped by the society of created by others and they've like really proven their willingness to just like go beyond the easy target submillennial humor that you would expect from that description i was thinking about what you're saying about like trying to define yourself and i was trying to figure out how i feel about um elliot and um his has mark's um like child that they adopt from john waters um omen kid 
Aspen? What's yeah. his name? <laughs> Aspen. No. Is it Aspen? It's something but, very strange. Because um, like, it also doesn't feel like it totally fits into the like season yes, as a whole. Like it's oh a, it's God. a strange little like side plot. But it, it's again like Elliot like it's like what's the status? Do you think I can do? I well, I can then di- adopt this bio breed from this. Like, but don't you uh, think that, that that is playing into the same themes? It's it's a it's a shortcut, right? Everyone on the uh-huh. on the show is constantly, and they have been like from Elliot lying about cancer to get sympathy. To mm-hmm. just becoming like converting to hard right conservatism in season four, and now he's adopting a child to be like the only way we're going to stay together in like two months is if we adopt the child right now. Give us anything you have. Fine, here's the omen child um, who's murdering <laughs> your pool boy. Uh, they have an amazing apartment, by the way. I'm not sure where they're. Are they living within Brooklyn? It? Because it yeah, looks it's amazing. supposed to be in Brooklyn. They have like, a pool. They, they come to it later in the uh, apocalypse. <laughs> I know it does feel like a weird um, thing that could actually. The exist. two of them have um, the funniest moment of this season for me where they have a dinner party and I don't, they're eating like gruel. He's like, I didn't really read the recipe and they're just, and they're just shoveling the most disgusting <laughs> food in their mouth. I, I, it's, it's the little moments in this season that really killed me. I also like never really care that much about Mark as a character, but when he turns into a zombie in the very end, I was, oh, I was yeah. sad. It was a, it was like a nice, like true uh, emotional moment in the middle of all that chaos. I thought that, I thought the I just, like, zombie really stuff on... was pretty scary in this season. It was scary. Uh, when they're running through the fine. like Chuck E. Cheese, I'm just like, how do you get out of there? They're all oh, gonna that, die. This is great. That's a great place for a zombie. Ap- I mean, who cares that these people die? Good really, go kart action in this season. Like, I could have it could have ended with all of them becoming zombies, and I would have been like, ah. I mean, it would have changed. I think the ending of what the show meant entirely, or mm. just like, don't even try to fucking define yourself. You're gonna be a zombie. So I'm glad it didn't. But it wasn't. I wasn't in this for the characters to survive. So I I didn't feel yeah. any sort of like tension yeah no i definitely like when chantal pops up with the flamethrower i like that came as a complete surprise to me i didn't i thought they were gonna be gone for but i also like how the um like when they get in the bunker and then afterwards it like leans back into like little observational cultural humor like uh when they're in the bunker they see something they're like yeah i mean we're just doing this it's just like exactly the conversations from the beginning of covid like crazy right i can't believe it and then he talks about moving to la and he's like yeah there's thirteen thousand people there but like it just feels (laughs) I feel like I'm running into the same people in New York. Uh, they're still really good at it, even though the show did so much more. What do, what do you make of the ending, then? Uh, you know, they, they jump ahead in time. Society has been crumbled. I really can't wait to talk about Station Eleven with you all, uh, because I watched this back-to-back with that. <laughs> so I was feeling a lot of feels. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's, they, they see a board of missing people. Dory lingers and... I don't know. Uh, what do you what do you make of how they wrapped it all up? Was did did they redeem her? Like what where did we leave? No, her? she's still searching. She's still like I mean the last thing you hear her say before it jumps ahead is like I wanted and I think it leaves her wanting still. Like she can cause and survive the zombie apocalypse and still be looking for her identity. I read it the exact opposite way. She spread her nothingness to everybody else and therefore she's fine. But like wow. everybody has to transcend. Everybody has to figure out who they are now. So and she's just standing there looking at a bunch of posters of people who have to figure out who the fuck they are. I mean, but the idea of Drew and Dory getting married, like that's not a happy ending for them. Like that's not gonna fulfill either of them. I saw Aliyah Shawkat, I think, in an interview, maybe it was one with uh Dave Itzkoff, colleague uh, uh, at New York Times saying that maybe the show was also about like figuring out when to let go of your friends from college. 
uh, or like what's your relationship <laughs> with college and when you keep those people, when you let them go, can you ever escape them? Do you want to escape them? I thought that was really interesting. It's definitely in my head where I'm like, I keep up with a lot of people I know from, from college and I'm glad to. Including a producer on Search Party. That's true. <laughs> wow. I guess I should disclose that. Yeah. Old college roommate, best man of my wedding produces Search Party. Um, Name next to Alia Shawkat. That is definitely not a reason I like this show. Uh, I certainly feel no compulsion to enjoy his work. Um, sorry, Skidmore. But uh, yeah, I just I, I find that pretty fascinating about like, is this show about letting go? Is she trying to we haven't seen them in college. There were some episodes where they flash back to them in college. Yeah, in those early days. But we haven't seen them in that setting before. But is it about preserving that on some level? Is it about not growing up? Is it about like the shortcut to fame, but also about, I don't know, keeping something intact? I don't know if this movie or this show has something to say about the college experience ultimately or like trying to chase that it might. And the more I babble about it here on the podcast. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to talk about that with the like uh, millennial generation, because the reason we know so many people from college and the reason why we would even think about that is Facebook launched while we were in college. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Like if it would have been five, 10 years earlier, we would not know as many people from college. So it's hard to, I don't, I don't think you're wrong, but it's hard to like, uh, our whole generation is going to be wrapped up in that, in those weird, like we're more connected superficially than anybody has been previously. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's not about that for sure. Dave, if you went missing, I would try and solve the mystery. I would hope so. Jesus. I don't know. You're kind I of would far really away. hope. But the thing is, like, Dave would be the better one at solving. Like, our disappearances would be more easily solved by Dave than vice versa, I think. Yeah, I'm the one who has time to start a podcast about solving one of your disappearances. Yeah. Yeah, your podcast about solving our disappearance would absolutely go viral. As long as you capitalize on it. Yeah. That's please uh, Finding share, patches. Share the Patreon uh, proceeds with us, please. That's all we ask. <laughs> if you Turn, find well, after Yeah, when I find you. <laughs> <laughs> come come back and get your Patreon proceeds. <laughs> uh, everyone should watch Search Party on HBO Max. Yeah, do it. That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week talking about Yellow Jackets. Speaking of friends from previous schooling years of your life. Uh, that's a, I don't know. I'll come up with more connections between uh, search party. <laughs> I mean, and that, that's I do true. think there. I do. Yeah, I do think there'll be a lot of lines that draw through this yellow jackets, people, and then we'll talk about Station Eleven in two weeks. So now people do yeah, a a bite of, other of people's faces in uh, in both shows. Ooh, spoilers. Mm. Uh, well, I don't know. If it's spoilers for yellow jackets. We'll get there. Uh, anyway, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, deputy editor at Polygon.com, and I'm on Twitter at. Mr. Patches, we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com. If you want to listen to our last search party, if you're just binging it all, mm. we, I mean, that may, is that from 2020, you said? It's not from last I think year? So, yeah. Jesus. Um, I thought so, it was yeah. a, I thought it was 2021. But I don't know. Maybe it is. Who knows? It's, uh, everything's anyway, there's an, <laughs> I'm going to go see if a, I can find there's it. There's an episode friend. somewhere in the backlogs that you could go to fightinginthewarroom.com and listen to it right now.
And since David isn't here, I could say that you could find him on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You could leave a review for us on iTunes. We'll read it. Or you could send us your international review at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. And I used to do a Lost podcast, so I am psyched for Yellow Jackets next week. Uh, I am going through our podcast episodes from this time last year. And I cannot find when we talked about search party, but it's sometime when it was I'm... cold outside. That's all I remember. <laughs> or when it was cold, you remember? Uh, anyway, uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair uh, and on Twitter at Katie Rich, K A T E Y R I C H. And we're all on Twitter at F I T W R, where you can tell us about the names we've mispronounced, which uh, we've been hearing about. Thank you, everybody. Mm-hmm. Or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was in honor of Moonfall. Next week, from the director of 1998's Godzilla, what is Roland Emmerich going to destroy next? By the way, our search party episode is episode number 344 from April 15th, 2021. Cold-ish outside. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. And Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. But I don't wanna hear Hear that voice again What I carry in my heart Brings us so close or so far apart Only love can make